Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jeremiah 2, the Old Testament book. Uh, if you're new to the Scriptures, go about halfway back. You'll find the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He'll pop up right there. And as you're doing that, you need to know that Jeremiah uh, is a book about Israel's sinfulness and looming judgment by God. And uh, Jeremiah was born in 648 B.C., just three miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's kind of fun to think that through, that uh, someplace around here about three miles away might be like Ina and Oracle or something like that. And uh, he grew up about that far away uh, from Jerusalem. And some of his peers were no, of men of no small fame like Ezekiel and Daniel. And at the age of 20, he was called to be a prophet. And when he objected, God said to him, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to, every, you must go to everyone I send you. And say whatever I command you. And thus he was appointed to a difficult ministry of proclaiming judgment and punishment, as well as bringing hope to the sinful nation. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to do what? To uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. If you were to read the first few chapters of Jeremiah, you would see uh, perversions of, of things like this. They pursued idols, they forsook God, and they formed godless political alliances. And all of these were a slap in the face of God. So please now, if you'll turn to your scriptures, we'll be reading out of Jeremiah 2. Jeremiah 2, verses 4 through 13. 4 through 12 will be a backdrop for the key verse today of verse 13. I will be reading out of the ESV translation. Here's God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the God who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in the land of deserts and pits, and in a land of drought and, and deep darkness? in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The, prophes the prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has the nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here ends the scripture reading, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, that word that I just read to you, will endure forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning as the great high priest. Our prayer this morning is that you would transform us, morph us into your image. We want to be more like you. We are a parched people. Please have mercy toward us. 
You claim to be the thirst quencher, so we ask that you would satisfy our spiritual thirst this morning. Please open our lives, our hearts, and our minds to your word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. When I was 12 years old, I grew up in the Midwest, and we went on one of those memorable family vacations. You know those ones where it takes you about two or two and a half days, and by the time you get there, you're ready to go home because you're so sick and tired of one another. There's three brothers and a dog in the back seat, and we went from uh, the Midwest, Des Moines, Iowa, all the way out to Idaho Falls. And it wasn't just to go to Idaho Falls to see aunt and uncle and our three cousins. We were on our way to the great uh, National Park, Yellowstone National Park. And after leaving uh, Grandma uh, with my aunt, neither one of them were really campers. We left them in the, the, the official camper, and we loaded up in three canoes. And it was uh, three adults, my uncle and my mom and dad, and six cousins. And uh, we went across the lake. Paddled across the lake. Of course, my uncle and my mom and dad and the supply, they actually had a supply boat too. There's four canoes. Uh, they had a little motor. And so they scooted. My cousins, my brother and my cousin, older cousin and myself, we had to row. So we rowed across the lake and uh, went up another stream. And then we got in another lake there, at which time there were no motorized uh, uh, canoes or boats. So you had to tie the motor, to, uh, chain it to a tree. And then we all paddled across the lake to our campsite. And when we got there, it was just uh, absolutely pristine and beautiful. This was the real deal. This was a great adventure. All outdoor plumbing, all outdoor cooking, uh, and all outdoor adventure. This was bear country for the Oldrich clan. You know, we all experience thirst, don't we? And especially for water. This is what keeps our bodies working right. And if it's been a while since you've had a good glass of water, a good drink of water, then you realize sitting out there how good water feels down that throat. You know what I mean? You know what it's like to watch your flushed child at an athletic event like a soccer game or a basketball game. They come, their faces all red. They don't even want to breathe. They just want to drink. It's like a timeout or they get, they get taken off the field or at the end of the game and they just really want to be quenched. You've gone on a walk or a hike for a couple miles, especially now as it's starting to warm up. Just a couple miles out, uh, you realize how thirsty you get. You've seen an alcoholic before when they haven't had a drink for a couple of days and they just tremble and they, they just have to have something to drink. And then the worst case of all is you've seen those Starbucks-aholics who haven't had their latte and it's... And it's uh, they're used to that triple shot, and it's about mid-morning, and, and then they have to go take their 30-minute their break, and they rush down there. Well, all of us have a thirst. And uh, if you've never considered this, every person was created by God, um, and each individual is created with a spiritual thirst. It's true. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says, And God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. They're created for a relationship, for, uh, and that eternity, that sense of the spiritual, that sense of life after death. Now, they may deny it. There may be a seared conscience and a hard heart, uh, but we all know that in the, in the quiet, still moments of our lives, there's that nagging sense, there has to be something more to me. And today, we're going to talk about that spiritual thirst. So for those of you who like to create outlines, draw, doodle, or whatnot, here are the three points that you, the umbrellas that will be... Uh, hanging our hooks on uh, this morning. Our condition, our actions, and our hope. Our condition, our actions, and our hope. So what is our condition? 
Our condition is this. We are a people of thirst. God, our creator, made us for relationships. Sin affected us in these four areas of relationships too, but let's just think about this for a second. God made us for relationship vertically with him. And at the fall, at the garden, when, we, when Adam and Eve fell, that, was, that relationship uh, was marred and destructed. Uh, there was destruction that happened to it. We were also made in relationship for, with others. We were designed to be in, in community with others. We're also designed to be in relationship with ourselves. That's the third direction. With God, with others, and with ourselves. And then fourthly, with creation. We were made and designed to be in this great big garden called the universe. More specifically, our earth. And sin affected the earth. You know the earth groans under the curse? It too is suffering. And so those are the four directions that we are created for with relationships. And so to be human is to be in relationship of some kind in all four of those directions. You may call that drive, urge, human tendency, or desire. The inner tenacity of the human heart to want to relate, or dare I say, to want to love, was created by God. And we are going to call that thirst. Yes, he made us mechanical in our physical bodies. And there's, there's great physics about how our bodies works, works as a physical entity. But we're created more than just as a physical being. We're a spiritual being. We're a relational being. And at the core of who we are, we're designed for relationship. So let's take a good hard look uh, at this relationship. God had pleaded with the fathers, and still they went after vanity. They chose not to seek, seek God. Verse 5, chapter 2 there in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness? I find it very interesting when it says, They went after worthlessness and they became worthless. Do you know that people become those things that they chase after? Just think about this for a second. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So you want to be wise, you hang out with wise people. You want to be a fool, you hang out with foolish people. So what about those people who pursue uh, sports? I know one guy who just sacrificed his marriage and his two kids because he wanted to go after a sportsplex and, and, and following a sports team that's not in Arizona during the football season. And so it would take him away a good six or seven weekends out of the year. With great passion, he was flying up there, bought, bought two condominiums, party condominiums, and was just spending all this time to the neglect of his own family. It cost him his marriage. What about that person, that man who's just so busy climbing up the ladder that has to have the power, who has to have the money? He gets there, he climbs that ladder, having power and having money, only to find out that it, the ladder was leaned against the wrong building, right? It sacrificed his family and his friends, and it's the most empty feeling to be at the top with nobody to share it with. And you can go on and on and on, whatever it may be that they pursue. But people become like that which they worship or that which they pursue. And what did they seek after? The Israelites, they sought after idols. They chased them. And in so doing, they gave up their glory. Verse 11, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. What should be our response? What was their response? Or what was God's response to all that? Verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. One translation says this. Now listen to this. Heave, you heavens. Be astonished. Be horrified. Be wholly wasted or dried up. 
It is stupefying to the Lord that Israel would turn to worship other gods. This is an abomination, and this is sheer stupidity on their part. This ought not to be. And yet, dear friends, this is exactly what you and I do every day and every week. We cannot point the finger at the Israelites and not see ourselves, dare I say. Some of you might be, maybe, might, maybe protesting inside saying, I don't worship idols, Matt. I worship Christ and Christ alone. And I would just ask you to bear with me for a little bit. And let's follow through with this as I try to expand on it. The Israelites have done the unthinkable. They've left God, the God of the living waters, and they've turned to their idol worship to, of the nations that surround them. And those are the broken cisterns that they are turning to. Verse 13 says this, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the wellspring of living water, and they've dug for themselves, they've hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So we have this contrast this, uh, between living wa- this contrast between living waters and cisterns. Living waters are running waters. It's fresh and it's clean and it's an abundant source. But cisterns, they're, they're literally, they're holes in the ground that they would dig. And many times they would be kind of thin and they'd open up to a, a big, round, uh, spherical shape. And, uh, and they would run the water from the, from the uh, monsoon season. And they would run all that runoff and put it in there. And then they would seal it up. And those cisterns, but some of the cisterns would be cracked and they would not hold water. And during the dry season when they needed it, they would go and un- un- take off the top part of the-, the lid of those cisterns and to find there was no water. Every week I have the privilege of relating to men and women by loving them. They come into my office and share their journey of, uh, through this life. The highlights and the heartaches, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's honest. It's raw. It's emotional and earthy. It's intimate and powerful. And oftentimes they come in wanting to be fixed, but Jesus has so much more for them. When someone says to me, Matt, you've got to fix me. Or Matt, can you fix my marriage? Every time I hear those words, something deep inside of me cringes. It's like having hearing those fingernails scraped across the chalkboard of my soul. And I just say, this can't be. Don't ask that. You are asking for so little when you want to be fixed. And that would be easy if you were a car, if you were mechanical, which they aren't, but if they were and if you were, then it would be true if people were like cars that I could take out the oil of lust and replace it with the pure desire of Christ. The cold, rusty spark plugs of selfishness and replace them with a tender servant's heart that always looks out for others' well-being. That loud, annoying horn of gossip. And I can replace it with the stereo of grace. But people aren't mechanical in their soul and in their heart, are they? And these people are just like you and I who are made in the image of God, and they have passions, and they have hurts, and they have habits, and lusts, and ambitions, and fears, and dreams, and goals. And there's nothing mechanical about that, friend. They want to be in relationship, and you want relationships, and you want it because that's the way God created you, to know and to be known, heart to heart, soul to soul, dream to blessed dream. Now, man, I don't mean that in some feminine sense to make you insecure, but at the core of your being, men... You were designed for relationship. So how do we begin to apply this, uh, that we're a thirsty people? 
Believe and know in your heart and mind that you are made for relationships. And also, know that your thirst is God-given. Friends, do not despise your passion. Do not despise your thirst. And, and what do I mean by that? Because there is a desire that's of the flesh. There is a desire that's dark. I understand that. But when God hardwired you with gifts and passions uh, in this world, you reflect God's glory when you are being who God made you to be and you're doing what God called you to do. And I get to see God and His image in you when you are following hard after those passions and dreams and desires that He gave you. When you see somebody who's very athletic running up and down the court, when you see somebody with a musical instrument and they just dance across those strings, when you see somebody who can bake or sew or garden and they have that green thumb and they do it so effortlessly, it's so beautiful. When you see somebody who has a, a heart for pets and, you know, I'm one of those guys that almost hopes cats don't go to heaven, but uh, I, I'm convinced they do, but, you know... Um, I see people that can love animals like that, and I'm like, wow, it's just beautiful. And I see God in them, because I know those are created being, you know, creatures of God's uh, earth here that He made. So, secondly, what are, what are our actions, or what are we to do? We act out, or we live out of our thirst in destructive and unhealthy ways. So, sometimes our actions, we, we live those out in, in unhealthy ways. And what did Israel do? They forsook God and they dug their own cisterns. So, what does it mean to forsake? To, to forsake means to renounce or to turn away from entirely. Have the Israelites gone crazy? One would have to be mad to turn away from God, but that's what they are doing. It's absolute folly to reject Him, the source of life. He's the one who created Israel. He birthed Israel, and He freed them from the jaws of slavery in Egypt. And He gave them their own land to call home. Are you like me? Are you dumbfounded that they're turning away from Yahweh? Think about that. Are we just dumbfounded that they would do that? It's kind of like a U of A student transferring to the ASU halfway through college. You'd have to be utterly crazy to do that. Amen, Dick? Amen? All right. I want to make sure you're awake. So what does it mean that they've hewed out cisterns for themselves? To hew means to cut or to dig out, to make or to quarry. If I could just share an illustration then of what it means uh, from the Bible to dig out or to, to hew your own cisterns. Listen to this, and this will be familiar to you, friends. But in John 4, we had this woman at the well. Put on your glasses of thirst. Was this a thirsty woman? Listen. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sound familiar? Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from, from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Was she thirsty? I think so. I'm not exactly sure what the thirst was, but I think she vowed somewhere in her life, I will never be alone. I will never be alone. Or, I will never feel insecure. I need somebody strong and somebody, I need a roof over my head. I've got to have that. She was so thirsty, friends, that she was willing to burn through five husbands and the one that she was with, the sixth, she wasn't even married to. Is she thirsty? She's thirsty. She was drinking from the wrong well, though, wasn't she? There's nothing wrong with thirst in and of itself. But when we seek to satisfy this part from this apart from God, this is our error and this is our sin. Just like the Israelites did and like this woman at the well, we are capable of destructive behaviors and foolish decisions also, aren't we? Some of you have burned through marriages. Some of you have burned through family members and friends. Maybe it's job after job, hobby after hobby, addiction after addiction. Tell me. Tell me when it will be enough. When will you have enough money? How many drinks after work will it take for you to wind down? How many affairs will you have to have until, it, it, it must, until, you, won't, until you realize that it's not about sex? How many pills will you pop? How many clothes will you buy? How many cars must you have and how expensive must they be? Tell me. Better yet, tell Jesus today. Ask God to show you your thirst, friends. Ask a few trusted friends what they think your thirst is. If you have anybody that's a lifelong friend or you've been around for a good maybe five, eight, ten years or more, they're going to know you. And you say, you know what? I, I, I want eyes to see. I'm not quite sure, but I've been thinking about thirst and the things that I do to satisfy my soul apart from Jesus. Do you think you could help me see that? Do you have the courage to ask that to somebody? Husbands, can you ask your wife that? Finally, in point three, what is our hope? Our hope is this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said, If any man, if any woman is thirsty, come to me. Come to me and drink, and from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's just a matter of coming to Jesus. He is the great thirst quencher. I like to explain it like this. You could go drink from fresh water, or during the monsoon seasons, if you, we have a parking lot that's asphalted. I know you, you just have gravel, so if you could pretend at our parking lot where, where there's spittle, and there's gum, and there's bird droppings, and there's oil marks. And the monsoon comes in about 1.30 in the afternoon and rains for 45 minutes and goes away. And then all that water washes down to one little part that, that forms a little, uh, a little area there where you go in and you just get a cup and, you, and then you start to drink. Wouldn't that be a good drink? 
<laughs> That's what Israel did. That's what you and I do when we turn away from Jesus. And we try to, to satisfy that thirst apart from Him. It's nasty. It's either total parchedness or some man-made gunky water like that that does not satisfy. Just by way of illustration, as we think of not only the mud puddle or the parking lot puddle, but do you remember um, in Exodus 17 and also in Numbers 20, the two times when, when Moses is told to strike the rock and then uh, the second time when he's told to speak to the rock, he strikes it twice. Um, but both times, uh, the people of Israel and their livestock were watered when they were parched. We're not talking a little um, six-foot tube or a six-inch tube that's six-foot long coming out of the water. We're talking about a river. Because remember, we had well over a million people. And then, and then how many? How much livestock? That over several hours had to be watered. We're talking gushing water in the desert. Miracle of miracles. So in Isaiah 55, this is our application. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. You see up in Yellowstone Park, after paddling all the way across the lake and finding our campground, we did have one of those, a couple, uh, they're probably three gallons is my guess. When you're a kid, it's always hard to, they seem like ten gallons. But it was all the, you know, those compressed uh, plastic water containers that when you fill it up, it would expand and it would, and it would hold about three gallons of water. So it was a, at least twice a day um, a chore to go around two coves, to paddle around two coves and go over to where there was a spring of water. And it was only about 15, 10, 15 feet up, and it would just trickle down into the lake. And we would go there, and after uh, paddling and working hard all day, water was really important. And it was interesting, sometimes we'd take a couple of the canoes and go with my cousins, my, my brothers, or my parents, or whatever. There's always one adult. But you go there, and, and you get, and then some, it was interesting, some people would just cup their hands and, and, and drink the water. But there were those of us that were so hot and so thirsty, and our heads were so flushed, you know, you put your whole, you don't worry about breathing, you just put your whole face in there and start gulping the water, and it's, it's getting your forehead and your chin, and, and, and it's so cool. It was just so refreshing. It didn't matter what you looked like, you were just glad to be drinking water and having that thirst quenched. And friends, this is how it is with Jesus. He invites us to dip our whole selves right into His love. Dip ourselves right into His mercy and grace. The heat of our guilt is cooled by His forgiveness. The stinging edge of shame is satisfied with His acceptance of us as His children. And the refreshment and the new life that He promises comes with real power from the Holy Spirit to revive our tired bodies, to revive our wounded hearts, to revive our sin-prone flesh, to revive our wayward wills, and to revive our doubting minds. Friends, can you give up your cisterns? Do you know they're cracked? Today is a day. Lord, 
I give up my cisterns. I know I forsake you and I turn to those to find water to quench my thirst. But today, I want to give up at least one of those. Are you willing to ask the Lord that today, friends? He's waiting. Will you come? Will you come? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the great thirst quencher, and we acknowledge right here as a corporate body that we do individually and as a body dig our own cisterns. Left to our flesh and left to our fallenness, we know our thirst and we chase after idols. We chase after broken cisterns. And so we repent and we name those as addictions. We name those as whoring after other gods for power and money and security and for uh, way more clothes and shoes than we could ever wear in a lifetime and, and cars and, and vacation homes and, and all the other things, Father, that are good in and of themselves, but we turn them into broken cisterns. So we give those to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would change us from the inside out. May we understand and live from that living water. May we know what that means to have your spirit quench deep within our hearts. May it start today. And all of God's children said, Amen.